This is the Horse Radio Network. Everyone's got an opinion on safe sport, but who actually knows how it works? We brought in an attorney to explain. This week, we're talking about how to get over the fear of speed when in the saddle. And holy cuteness alert, you might be seeing more mini horses on airplanes pretty soon. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy, to Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 55 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Sorry, I'm practicing my radio voice, guys. <laughs> I love How's it. How's it going? Good, good. Doing well. I feel like your voice is getting deeper for radio. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. You're trying. I'm, you're trying to. Yeah. You're talking. Talking a new way. Yeah, people are going to be able to think it's you. Yeah, I mean, now that I drive so far and like commuting to work, I've been listening to a lot of talk shows, so I feel like this is going to be like my sexy voice for. <laughs> I'm going to start talking to Matt like this. It's very soothing. I like it. Go make me dinner. He's <laughs> he's not going to leave you for the animals. It's going to be the it's going to be the voice. <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Flair. Did you know, like, we actually exercise the horses every day kind of lightly, but also we do a lot of intense work via galloping or whatever else to get their heart rate up and make them actually work? Did you guys know that when they wear Flair strips that they can use up to 6% less energy when bringing in the air during that intense exercise? You guys should check out flairstrips.com to learn more about how you can help your horse perform better and stay safe. So I'm going to tell you guys, I'm a sucker for Instagram and Facebook ads. Like I know they do it for a reason, but this one got me for this happy hour post because I think obviously the phones like spy on us. Doug and I were talking, he loves a good spicy margarita type thing. And we also buy a lot of like some type of like spritzer. We actually make our own as well of like grapefruit sparkling water because I can't drink right now. So that's like been my treat. And over Instagram, we saw a grapefruit jalapeno mezcal cocktail. Ooh. And it looks so good. It does take a process to make, but I'm definitely going to make one for Doug because this came up and it looked awesome. It's two ounces of mezcal, four ounces of fresh grapefruit juice, two ounces of citrus soda, which I would use the grapefruit one, one lime wedge, and a little extra for the rim, and one jalapeno slice. And you salt the rim, mix it a little like chili powder if you want, and put it in a shaker and serve it. Wow, that sounds really good. I also like, I'm not a huge grapefruit person, and I'm not a huge jalapeno person, but I feel like these two things together, I could handle it, and it would be delicious. Well, yeah, because I think a lot of times with the spicy, like, you know, the jalapeno margarita or whatever, it would be too spicy for me, but I think it could cut with the grapefruit mm-hmm. that I actually might be able to handle it. No, it sounds delicious. I'm still just trying to understand, like, is mezcal like a vodka? Or <laughs> No, it's like a tequila. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, a, why did yeah. they just say tequila? Because, well, it's like saying bourbon and whiskey. It's not technically uh, the same, but they're okay. close. See, my, We're expanding uh, your horizons. Ellie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna sound so um, elegant when Matt comes home. I'll be like, I'm gonna make a grapefruit jalapeno mezcal cocktail, <laughs> and he's gonna be like, I just want a beer. And I'm gonna be like, All right, 
<laughs> no, I showed Doug this like elaborate video on it. And he's like, that looks amazing. He's like, that literally looks so good. And I would have to like, you know, make sure there was no seeds in the jalapeno and everything. But other than that, I think I could handle it. Yeah, it sounds good now that I know that it's tequila. I was just trying. <laughs> I was just like, maybe I can make it without the vodka or whatever the heck it is. It's so, tequila. It's like, a, yep. it's literally like a spicy margarita with grapefruit. So, See, now it makes sense. Before, I was just like, I don't understand who comes up with these things. But. This is perfect. <laughs> it looks amazing, though. So, speaking of, like, craziness, Ellie, you've got a crazy news item for us. I do. So, have you guys seen the picture of the mini horse on the airplane? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So cute. Okay. I'm so excited because if I am on a plane and I see a mini horse, I'm going to be, like, I already struggle not to pet the service dogs. So it's going to be really hard not to pet a mini. But anyway, so before all of this stuff trended, there was a, like the Department of Transportation uh, said that anything with hooves or horns would constitute as an unusual service animal and that they were banned. If we recall, like the peacock, that was also considered banned. I don't know if this changes anything for that, but anyway... So now that mini horses are recognized by, uh, in the Americans with Disabilities Act as legitimate service animals, um, they are able to fly. A lot of different airlines like United and American and like some Alaska planes had already like said that that's fine. But now it's like official that they have to let you on if your service animal is a pony. That's pretty awesome. I'm really excited. I have questions, though. Like, what happens if they poop? Like, how do you, you know, well, handle so that on an airplane? It still has to be housebroken. So, you know, like, the people that have the minis, like, in their houses? Like, you can teach a horse to poop outside. I, I wouldn't want to, but... No. I but had I mean, a mare that would only pee outside. But I feel like... I mean, what if you're on, like, a six-hour flight? They can hold it. I mean, a dog could hold it, right? Yeah, I was going to say, what do you think Nolan does? Pees and poops on the airplane? I mean, I I guess. But, I mean, there are, there's got to be emergencies. So, I guess if a horse poops on a plane, it's easier to clean up than, like, a dog poop. Oh, I don't I don't know about that. <laughs> I guess it depends it, on the quality and consistency of the poop. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And then also, <laughs> obviously, they can't, like, you have to be in, like, an aisle seat or the front of the plane for them to have enough room, right? You know, and I, they just I think, stand. Um, yeah, I saw the ones where, like, basically they're the one right behind, like, the car, you know, where you have no, you can't put your bags in front of you, if that makes sense, right. where there's more leg room. Right. Yeah. But that's the same with large dogs. service animal dogs as well. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. We have mini ponies at, you know, the barn I've been at for years, and they're um, adorable, but also super not well-behaved. And I, I'm just thinking of all the havoc they'd <laughs> create on an airplane. I Obviously, think that's like a bad dog and a good dog. Exactly. Obviously, these ones are trained to be service animals. but yeah. uh, I wouldn't take like our big dogs. Like they'd be a nuisance anywhere. But like our little one goes everywhere. They're just different. You know, I think it's what they're used to. So it's kind of like the service, you know, the what do they do? The they can take the horses into the hospital and everything as well. So right, same good thing point. Once they're broken, so I think it's the yeah. same sort of concept. Yeah, good there's point. a lot of people that are upset about it, which I think is really. Ridiculous. They're like, I don't want to share my flight with a barnyard animal. I'm like, oh. okay, well, you can go 
walk to wherever yeah, you're going you can go then. somewhere else exactly <laughs> you know but they're still banning like you know snakes and other reptiles ferrets and rodents and spiders so that's good yeah <laughs> if someone brings a tarantula on my plane i quit i i'm done <laughs> nope i quit i'm i'm out i will walk for the rest of my life and justine what do you have for news this week So the USCF uh, announced an interesting new membership benefit. I don't know if you guys saw this, but they're offering free mental health first aid is what they're calling it to all members. So um, U.S. Equestrian is partnering with the McLaughlin Young Group to offer confidential counseling services for mental health, which I think is pretty cool and a, a pretty big deal that the USCF recognizes that there is a need for that. So basically, if you are a use, you know, an upstanding USCF member, you have access to professional counseling services for emotional or other personal issues for up to three visits or three sessions. And all providers are state licensed. You know, they have all the proper credentials. They're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, and there's a 1-800 number that you can call if you feel like you need someone to talk to. Uh, which I think is really cool. I think there many other sport organizations offer similar perks, and it's just it's good timing, right, for to offer yeah. this to to horseback riders. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Jess? I have some really exciting news. So Irish eventer is at Power, who is traditionally she's done eventing. She went to Burley last year. She actually was. You know, she competed a bunch. I think she was like ninth at Burley last year. She ended up going in the five star at Dublin Horse Show, like the Dublin Horse Show, and won it against all of the top show jumpers. So I'm so excited for her because she rode one of her old event horses and took it. She's taken that horse to the Hickstead Derby and done that a couple times. And she's from a big, like, riding family. Her brother is actually, like, the leading national hunt jockey. She's always so funny when I see her. She, like, talks about him and how she's doing and everything. She's, like, the nicest person. But she, to win in Ireland, it's such a big horse show for her family. And against the top event, I mean, uh, show jumpers in the world, I just cannot be more proud of her. Like, it's awesome. So that is my news because I'm super proud of Izzup. And my other news item I have this week is... Heels Down Mag has now got soaps for dirty equestrians. It's a new collection of all natural soaps, and it is some of the funniest things when you watch. Like, it's a great new line that's natural soap. It removes dirt, purifies skin, and leaves the rider, like, feeling awesome. So you guys have got to check them out because they've got fun names on them. We have a collection of six for everybody, and you can, like, mix and match. So you guys need to go to the website and shop on shop.heelsdownmag.com these names make me laugh so much are they not amazing <laughs> stressed out you just go... i love it they're great so if you guys are not already signed up for the hills down brief our daily email news blast you should really sign up there's always super fun super cool info um information in there it's not just heels down mag stories it's stories from all over the equestrian world all over the world, essentially, anything that's interesting to you. Just this last week, I read a really good story about bangs, like how you can cut your bangs in different styles. No, I don't think I'm going back to bangs. I don't think I'm bold enough for that. (laughs) 
But, uh, you know, I learned all about it just because I read the Heelstown Brief. So if you're interested in signing up, you can subscribe by going to bit.ly slash hdbrief. All right. So this week we are reviewing the Smart Pack Deluxe Fly Sheet, which, Ellie, you have one of these too, right? I do. Yeah. And just curious what you think. You know, I know Smart Pack makes a bunch of different sheets. And generally speaking, I really love all their sheets. But what did you think about this fly sheet? Okay, so this is a little thing, but it's something that matters a lot to me. I love that this thing has that little strap underneath the tail flap to put the tail through. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know why, but that is like my favorite feature. Like if a blanket has that, that's like plus 10 points for anything. Like I think it just like because a lot of my horses are really heat sensitive. Um, So if it like, you know, drops or changes temperature drastically, they'll get the runs. And so this makes my life a whole lot easier. But what about you? What's your favorite part? Um, I, you know, sizing is kind of hard for me because every brand is different, right? And so right. Mikey's a pretty big thoroughbred. So I'm generally like usually a size 80 or above, but I got this sheet in a 78 and it fits him really well. And I'm just really impressed with the coverage because with a fly sheet, right? You don't want his butt sticking out. You want to make sure it actually covers his his legs and his barrel and it, it really covers everything. I also really like the belly strap. Like it, it's uh, very generous in the area it covers underneath. And for me being in Florida and especially having a horse that doesn't sweat it, I would never use a fly sheet that's too heavy. Right. And so this one is really lightweight and breathable. It's mesh and it also blocks up to 70% of UV rays, which is great for Florida. And probably my favorite thing about all smart pack sheets, not just the fly sheet is that they have a really silky lined material that they put on the inside of the chest and shoulders. And it never rubs. My horse never comes in wearing a sheet with a rub for that reason. So That was great for me because, like, I I have a 78, too, and it fits my large quarter horse. Like, it's a little big, but it fits him awesome. And I was worried because I'm always paranoid about his mane, right? Because he's supposed to have this long, luscious mane, and he doesn't. He has, like, a really wimpy quarter horse mane. So I was super happy that it didn't, you know, rub him. I was always nervous about that all the time. Aw. And, uh, you know, I haven't washed this one yet, so I'll be curious to see how it holds up, because that's the other thing, is, you know, fly sheets, they get gross. Like, my horse is out in super muddy pastures right now, so that'll be the real test, is how it stands up over time after multiple washes and uses, but so far, it seems pretty durable. Yeah, I mean, it seems to work really well. Like, our horse flies right now are horrifying, and they're, like, two inches long, you know? So I go to bring the horses in at 5.30 in the morning, like, right when the sun comes up, and I see these massive, like, bird-looking horse flies. And he, and he, like, the horses, I feel bad for him. My boyfriend refuses to put anything on his horse. But, um, so he'll be bucking around because it's biting him. And Batman is, like, cool as a cucumber because that he can't get through it. So that's big for me because horse flies are painful and scary. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, but also another good perk about this sheet is it's really affordable. You can get it on smart pack right now for 89 95 plus shipping and smart pack has great free shipping and they even have an August code right now. I just pulled up their website and you can save 15% with just using the code August save. So I, you know, it's a great, if you're looking for a fly sheet to try and you're not sure, I feel like this is a good 
economical purchase to give it a go. And like AQHA members and USEF. And I think IHSA too, like you save 5% on SmartPack. So no reason awesome not to too. try it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we have two really exciting guests on the show this week with us. We have Deanna Corby, who's a dressage trainer in Waxhaw, North Carolina, and her husband, Stephen, who's an attorney with Emblem Legal. The couple took to YouTube to explain the ins and outs of SafeSport after the horse internet lost its mind over George Morris and Michael Barrasone earlier this week. So hi, guys. Thanks for joining us. Hi, hi thanks for having us. So just to start, Dina, obviously you're a horse person, you're a dressage trainer, you're a professional in this industry. Steven, I'm guessing that you're a, you're a horse husband who doesn't necessarily <laughs> ride, right? That is exactly right. Okay. <laughs> So what made you what made you guys take to YouTube? Deanna, I know you're very active on your channel uh, with with training and, you know, dressage specific videos. But why did you want to tackle this really hot topic of safe sport and what's going on right now? Yeah, I felt like making a YouTube video would be pretty effective because as all of these events were unfolding the past few weeks, I kept asking my husband, um, you know, just some legal questions about like, what does, um, what do, what do these terms mean and why, uh, what safe sport is, is kind of about. And, and anyway, I had a bunch of questions for him and I thought it would be helpful if we went, uh, if we did a Facebook live and we kind of talked about it in general and he answered the questions for other people as well. And then I um, put the Facebook live video onto my YouTube channel um, just to kind of answer questions for everybody and get some conversation going about it. Cause there were a lot of rumors and just a lot of chatter going on. And I, and it felt like everyone was kind of lost on, on what the heck is happening. So, right. Right. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that. So what were some of the most interesting questions you got from people who tuned into your Facebook live? Well, I feel it seemed like a lot of the equestrian world was divided about uh, either being pro-safe sport or against safe sport. They were saying that safe sport was ruining the sport, that it didn't have any place in the USEF. But uh, also a lot of people were saying that, you know, victims need a place to go anonymously in in different uh, sports and and safe sport is very much needed and that was the main question people were asking sure you know emotions are running high right yeah. after you know yeah. these two sort of high profile also extreme cases but yeah. steven so for me personally you know i'm seeing it on my own feeds all day long but why you know the the biggest thing that seems to irk the public is we don't know the uh, specifically the George Morris case we don't know the details right we just know someone accused him of sexual misconduct safe sport conducted an investigation they did not share any details of that investigation right and they just um, they came to a conclusion and now George Morris is appealing that decision can you talk a little bit more about that process, why, you know, an organization like SafeSport would keep its findings behind closed doors and, and only in-house? Sure. So you have to remember the reason SafeSport was put into place to begin with, right? SafeSport exists because of Larry Nasser and everything that happened in the U.S. gymnastics world. I mean, he abused over 200 young girls, and that was allowed to continue for 
decades because of the fear of anyone in that industry coming forward because they would get ostracized by other peers. And, and, and Nasser was such a powerful figure in that environment. And so Safe Sport uh, actually started a little bit in 2016 and was fully authorized by Congress in 2017. And the purpose of that organization was to specifically handle claims of sexual abuse among Olympians and then other uh, major sports industries that have decided to um, bring in that process to really help these claims. They can also examine other things, but mainly it sticks to sexual abuse. And so the concept there was how do we get victims to come forward in an environment where the people they might be accusing are living legends? They own giant facilities. They have magazines named after them. They have giant monuments. How can we get them to feel comfortable to be able to speak to the truth um, while still making the process fair? And the only way that they could think of that would make sense is to keep it sealed. It's sealed for the victims and it's sealed for um, the accused perpetrators, and everything is quiet except for at the end when a decision is reached, and that is made public. Got it. So something I keep seeing people, you know, people wanting to refer to, you know, like a real due court process where, there, you know, there's statues of limitations that exist, and obviously that doesn't apply to safe sport, right? And why not? Yeah. So, I mean, the thing that uh, that really bothered me as a lawyer, and I've been a lawyer for almost a decade now, is I kept seeing people post, especially on my wife's feed, you know, I'm watching over her shoulder every once in a while, and I see someone post this long thing about how unconstitutional it is. And it drives me a little crazy because um, from, as a lawyer's perspective, it's it's really not. I think there is no crime. What's the maximum penalty Safe Sport can uh, impose? The maximum penalty they can impose is kicking you out of the organization. That's it. That's the max, right? They can't fine you. They can't put you in jail. They can't do anything that a real court process or criminal trial could do. So people are looking at Safe Sport as some sort of end-all, be-all organization, but they're not. They don't have any criminal authority. They just have the ability to uh, say that you can't be a member of the organization. And they can do a lot less than that. They can give you private warnings and fines and other things of that nature. But that's the maximum penalty they can impose. So I want people to try to think about Safe Sport not as a government body because they're trying to think of it as like it is a de facto court. And it's not because these people can also be charged in criminal court for the same conduct. But Safe Sport is more like a tribunal or a panel from an organization to determine whether or not they want people to remain a part of that organization. If you're on a uh, private football team that you go out with with your buddies at the end of the night, and it's through some random organization in Charlotte, let's say, where we live, um, that puts it on, and someone accuses you of sexual harassment or misconduct about it, right? You don't have to have a trial with a court to make the leaders of that organization say they don't want you to be in that organization anymore. They get to make that decision themselves. But what SafeSport did is they put together a really long, very thorough, and very protected process to which they investigate these claims unbiasedly um, to try to come up with the truth. And, it, and it's actually a pretty good organization. I think there's some downsides, but in general, I think the process is one of the best I've ever seen. Do you know, so... Uh- what what qualifies you to be um, an investigator? I guess under you know under Safe Sport, who who are the people who are actually conducting these investigations and making these decisions? Sure. So there's two separate classes of people, right? The the people there are investigators, and then there are actual arbitrators who make the final decision. So the investigators, all of the ones that I've seen, 
are former FBI or criminal investigators with over 10 years of experience, investigative experience. So they're, they're very thorough and they're, and they're very familiar with how to conduct an investigation. But at the end of the day, they don't make the final decision. Their arbitrators are the ones that makes the final decision. And an arbitrator in this situation has to have very specific experience. They have to have they have to be a lawyer or a judge or a former prosecutor that with very specific information dealing with sexual assault, or they have to be uh, a social worker or a couple other places that have sexual assault training specifically. But as far as I know, all of the arbitrators that have been involved at this point have been former lawyers or judges who have very specific sexual assault experience and have experienced either trying sex crime cases or ruling over them before. Um, and there's usually a, a, some sort of a hearing where both sides get to present evidence in addition to a, a slew of uh, a long investigation before we even get there, before that decision is made to begin with. Gotcha. What else do you think people need to know about safe sport? You know, as, as they're reading different people's opinions on their social media feeds, uh, where should they get the most, you know, accurate information about how it actually works? Well, uh, safe sport on their website uh, and through the USEF, they put out some guidelines and they'll tell you exactly how the process works. And I know in our video, I put up a little chart to kind of show them, but I would just say that the people thinking it's a snap decision really need to take a step back and look at the process itself, right? We don't know much because everything is sealed in order to protect the victims. The reason you know a little bit about the accusations from George Morris are because one of the victims chose to speak out. But I say one of the victims. The New York Times, who uh, originally reported the ban, has also reported that we know that there's at least three victims and the investigation into George Morris took over two years to conclude. So there was a significant amount of time and money and evidence put into this, and they're focusing only on the one person who has come out um, because that person no longer rides in the USEF, so they don't have any consequences for coming out. And they're not focusing on the other people and the other evidence that we don't know about. Um, and so what I'll just say is in general, if you learn about the about the process and you actually read about it, I think you'll find that it's actually pretty fair. And so for Michael Barrison, obviously different case, he's being tried crim criminally. He's being held in jail right now while his his case is going on. And at, where Safe Sport fits in is they've just uh, put a suspension or a ban on him in place while these charges are ongoing, right? Correct. Yeah, they, they've put a suspension on him while the charges are ongoing, but Safesport kind of falls a little bit into that category, too, because of the allegations that the victim made prior to her being shot. And she actually ha had either um, uh, reported something to Safesport or had at least threatened to publicly report something to Safesport in regards to Michael Barrison before the, um, the alleged crime occurred. Gotcha. And so, you know, some people talk about Safesport sport as if they want the US USDF to be able to opt out, but they can't, right? As a an American organization, but also because it's um, a pathway to an Olympic sport, is that what safe sport is mandatory? You know, that's a good question. And I don't have a specific answer to that. I, if, you, if you're going to be an Olympian and you're going to compete on an Olympic team, yes, you are subject to the um, safe sport protocol. I'm not sure if everyone under the USCF was required to comply. But I know that the USEF organization itself um, decided amongst itself 
to fully implement safe sport on all levels of their professional athletes. So the you know, two, um, I think it well two years ago or last year, they, the USCF made it mandatory for all professionals. I know I had to take the course for safe right. sport. Yeah. Right. They made it mandatory that we had to take the course, uh, for safe sport in order to keep our membership. And then just this past year, they made it mandatory for even amateurs to take the course. Yeah, right. so I, I can't tell you if whether or not that was a USCF internal decision to bring them on board or whether that was a mandate from above their pay grade. But I know that if you are going to compete or even be on a pathway to compete on an Olympic team, that Safe Sport does have the authority over you based on the congressional authorization they got in 2017. So with the George Morris case, obviously we're waiting to hear what happens with the appeal process. Stephen, could you give us any idea of how long you think that might take? You know, that's also a very good question. And as far as I know, there is no time limit. Um, the investigation took over two years. If he's appealing and asking for a hearing, one of one of several things can happen, right? It can just be denied. He, he might not be able to get another hearing. Um it could be granted, in which case there would likely be another hearing. And if his attorneys are asking for more time to conduct more investigation based upon what happened at the last time, the last hearing, then that could be a longer process. I'm not sure. I would probably imagine that we would have an answer in the next year or so, but uh, I don't think it's likely around the corner unless the appeal is straight up denied. If it's denied, then you'll probably know that pretty quickly. Gotcha. So uh even during the appeals process or what happens if even if the bans, if the ban held for George Morris, will he still be able to give clinics and give, you know, participate in other events as a as an instructor? So that's a really good question. And I've seen a lot of confusion online about that point. And to be honest with you, that's probably safe sports fault, because I don't think that they have been directly clear with what the penalties or restrictions are. It is my opinion, based upon what I've reviewed and based upon the rules and regulations of Safe Sport, that say, that George Morris wouldn't be allowed to come to any USEF specifically sanctioned or sponsored event, right? He couldn't come to a show. If you wanted to ride, he probably couldn't come and you couldn't hire him for the day to help you out there. But if he wanted to have a private clinic at his home or facility, I don't think there would be any consequences for you deciding to attend that. But again, I think if Safe Sport wants to be clear and if they wanted to try to stop you from being able to interact with him in any sort of a professional equestrian environment, then they need to make that clear. And I haven't seen anything that says that, but I have seen some private Facebook rumors about it. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I just have one thing to add, you know, about the George Morris ban. Um, you know, at first I was pretty adamantly against safe sport because let's face it, George Morris is literally the greatest of all time. He is such a highly accomplished equestrian. And, um, you know, I was thinking like, oh, these allegations, they're from so long ago, 50 years ago, and the guy's 81, let him live out his final chapter in his life, you know, and I don't know. But then I was asking my husband about his thoughts about it. And, and something that kind of changed my mindset a little bit is when he said, look, the USEF, think of it as like its own private little club. And if you break their rules, you can't be in the club. I mean, to, you know, put it in layman's terms. But yeah, if you break the little club's rules, you cannot be in the club. And so when I kind of looked at it like that, I thought, okay, well, you know, that makes sense. So I don't know. 
I guess we'll see what comes next. But yep. Deanna and Steven, I'm, I well, appreciate you coming on the show. We're going to share the link to your YouTube channel and specifically to your conversation that you had about Safe Sport. So if you're interested in knowing more, they go into great detail in this YouTube video. And we'll have that in the show notes. So thanks again for joining us. I so appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, anytime. EIS shirts are designed for energetic people in need of high-performance sun protection. These shirts are witchcraft. Okay, people, they are so cool and they protect you from UV rays, which are super harmful. It's this, <laughs> it's a sun protection equivalent of 50 plus. Okay. And if you burn as bad as I do, these are huge and it keeps your body temperature down by about five degrees. You guys should check out all of EIS's new colors and styles on their website, eis-wear.com. This writing tip segment is presented by Arena Saddles. For more information, go to arenasaddles.com. All right. So I'm having a writing issue and it's mostly mental. And I wanted to ask you guys about it because I just, I need friendship and support because <laughs> I just can't seem to get past this. So as, as you both know, I've had Mikey for about two years now and I've brought him along mostly by myself, you know, with the occasional help from uh, a couple different trainers that I haul out to. And I recently just moved him to a new barn to get into a program with a trainer because I realized I've kind of plateaued and I've hit a point where I've like, I've reached the limits of my comfort zone, right? So I just I need somebody to push me. And I you know, Mikey's a big horse, he's almost 17 hands, he's, you know, got a big step. And I, I really want to go and, and try to horse show pretty seriously in the next year. But I, I have, you know, I'm a hunter rider, so it's not like I'm racing around the arena by any means. But I, I don't know if it's an adult thing, because I, I swear I've never had this problem until, what, I hit 30 or something. But now I feel like anytime I ask my horse to go forward and get in front of my leg, I'm second guessing myself when we get to the jumps. And I always just creep up with you know my hands and make him slow down and I, we're getting the ads and it's crazy when you when you look at the size of my horse like that um that we're getting ads down the hunter lines and so my question is how do i get past this to be more consistent about setting my horse forward and not being afraid of the little bit more speed i need to, you know to get my horse to smoothly come through the lines or just to any jump in general, you know, like I need to get past my own mental block, I think to send my horse forward and, and kind of have a smoother approach to every fence. So I'm just generally speaking, but like, it's more, you come out of the turn and you're waiting, waiting, waiting to probably find a distance instead of kind of keeping the rhythm and keep coming through the turn. Have you tried very basic, like going to like a Cavaletti or something really small that like, it doesn't make you like, who cares if you swing a miss to it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just start to get yourself like, and you can do that almost every day, right? Like it's, if you're jumping a foot high every day or a pole every day, just to get you more about that feel, cause it's a feel, right? And that's, what's so hard. So if you come out of the turn place, you know, a Cavaletti or a pole or whatever else like that, and just try to start seeing it and do it where you have like, we do a lot like with poles I talk about all the time, but like poles or Cavalettis and put them at that longer distance and make yourself keep coming so that you don't kind of get stuck out of the turn because everyone, you know, I've gotten everybody, yeah, you know, I've taught, it's kind of gotten into it at some point, but like you get out and you go, okay, I'm going to wait. 
And I'm going to wait right. to see it. And then you're right. shutting down the canner instead of trusting the canner and just saying, okay, keep coming, keep coming. You are fine. You're not going to, you don't have to wait. Like they're in a good bat. As long as they're in a good balance, you're okay. So I think that if you could do it to something that you wouldn't care about type thing, you'll get yourself comfortable and just every day kind of go, okay, look, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to come out of the turn. So it's not about, yes, it's about having a bigger step and a bit of a bigger pace, but it's not about running. It's still, you need a really good balance and a really good canner, but you got to come out of the turn, not picking and taking your leg off. Totally. And I mean, I do it to a cross rail, you know, like where I just, I'm riding a horse that's a kick ride, you know, like he's not, yeah. he's not someone I need to constantly half halt. Like he, he's happy, like he's happy to pick up a scanner and just keep his little lope, you know? So and I, I, yeah. And it, I got to really push him to open it up and it requires more on me to go, okay, you know, step out a little bit more, step out a little bit more. But then like you say, I come around the corner and then I go, uh, and then I just sort of freeze up and then he kind of backs off and then he's happy to do the little like half step over the Wait. jump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but that's why if you did it not to, cause even a cross rail, like whatever else, I would just do it to like a little, like literally foot high Cavaletti or pole on the ground just to get you to like, start to see it and make it consistent. So it's not like, okay, look, I'm going to, you know, use the X as a warm up. Like you're using this Cavaletti as like coming out of the turn to keep seeing something so okay. that you just, it, you kind of get it out of your system of, you know, I'm going to do a cross rail, you know, and wait and be quiet, you know, just from the beginning, get them in front of your leg and just, I would almost like every day do it, you know, and the more you do it, the more you'll get comfortable with it. Should I do it to like a line of ground yeah, rails could, or couple of Well, I would okay. do it. If you did it to a line, do it like four or five strides out. Don't do okay. it to like a two stride, like put them like it'd be a long diagonal, you know, and like most of your diet or sorry, not your diagonals, your long side lines. So yeah. your long side is minimum five usually. So do it, put it five strides out and make you get down that five. Okay. But you got to get it in the first one. Cause it's usually probably you're coming around the turn, adding to the first one. And then it's easy to add to the second one. Or yeah. So I'll, I'll, I always add to the first one or then I really have to <laughs> haul ass to get out and it's not pretty, you know, but that's right. So. If it's, and it's because it's about the first one, right. It's coming out of the turn and you go, wait, yep. so go, I'm going to come out of the turn. I'm going to keep coming. And then, you know what, if I speed bump it, cause I got a bad distance, Maybe I didn't have the right balance. I'm going to come again and just, you know, make it a day that you're like, okay, look, I'm just going to keep coming. And I don't care. I mean, Mikey's not going to care if you're like swing and miss one or two of the times. And it's probably going to take a couple of that to like, you know, whoops, I got a little close and chocolate shipped it. Oops, I got a little long. Oh, that one was good. You know, and you're just going to have to, you know, get back into thinking, okay, I got to go forward and not picking to that first one. Okay. But it's all in my head. It's, it it's literally all, head, all yeah. in my head. Yeah. Because then I feel like when I get him forward, then I get nervous. Or I'm like, all right, now I'm too forward and I'm afraid he's going to be silly. Yeah. Because he I'm... baits you into going slower to get him controlled. Yes. Because he'd rather do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not hard. But, you know, when I go work out right now, I'm like, this is why I have to go to class because I can't ride or anything. But I have to, like, go to the nine o'clock class. Because if I went to my house to work out, I'd be like you know what? That chocolate bar looks a lot better. And that couch looks (laughs) even better than that chocolate bar. So I'm going to go sit myself on the couch. I couldn't work out, but you know, like I'm always going to pick the easy way out. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel better. I like that advice, Jess. Gotta go. I like that advice. Like, especially the lines. Like, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me, right. I fell off 
actually Berkeley when I first bought him back when I was in high school. And like, it was bad. Like I didn't break anything, thank God, but like it hurt bad. And it was like the first time I was like, holy crap, I'm not indestructible. Like, cause before I was the kid that, you know, like if you had given me a Bronc, I would have been like, heck yeah, I'll ride it. And that was kind of like a wake up call for me. And I literally, it took me probably two years of my trainer saying, Elizabeth, put your leg on for me to like not ride my horse backwards. Um, and I think a huge thing is, you know, just playing with lines of poles and like adding and taking out and adding and taking out like that really helped me to get out of it. But another thing, Jess, like if, or excuse me, Justine, if it's like in your head, right. Cause that was the biggest thing for me. Like my horse was fine. You know, I just hand gallop around the arena and I'm like, okay, like I'm going to prepare myself for if he like tries to buck or something, but I'm literally, I'm just going to hand gallop around this arena and I'm just going to get used to going this speed and it's going to be okay. You know? And like, honestly doing that, he's never been silly. Like ever. Like, I think I got one, like, you know, spirit stallion of the Cimarron head flip, but like, that was it. And like, I mean, obviously you have to do it controlled. Right. So don't just like go out there. Like, you know, somebody Right, no. Racers, but you know what I mean. Um, you don't have like, to worry about that. Yeah. Right. Okay. But I think that really helped me. Like, even just like, you know, doing it on the long sides, you know, and just like getting used to that bigger step. I mean, I'm struggling it with, with it now because my indoor arena is so small. Like, it's a 60 by 120. So it's like, it's harder for me to get like real horse show striding mm-hmm. in anything. So I'm, like doing a lot of gymnastics and stuff to try to keep that up. But like I went and rode in a bigger arena and I was like, Oh, I forgot how to go forward. Like, oops. So I don't know. That's my, um, well, my and cowboy I'm, advice, I guess. I'm sort of the same boat. So I came from a barn that had a very small arena. So it was easy for me to have to go, okay, we'll just do this little putsy canner. But now I'm at, a barn with, you know, like a real, like a real jump field. So, and my, the trainer's already on me. Like, I don't know why you're riding your horse at the ads, you know, like you don't have a pony, go ride your horse. And I, I feel like I need to hear that. So I'm you know, I've made the conscious effort to go to a place where someone's going to not let me just eat the chocolate bar and sit on the couch. Right. It's the same yeah. thing. I've got somebody who's going, no, if you want to do this, you got to ride. But I find myself going, wait a minute. Like I'm surprised at my own weenie nature in my head. I've never been that rider, but that's where I'm at right now where I'm like, well, I kind of like the little putsy canner. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't want to go forward, <laughs> but I've got to do it. So this helps me. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do the ground poles and the Cavalettis and report back. So thank you. And hey, guys, if you haven't checked this out already, at HeelsDownMag.com, we are giving away a brand new arena saddle. If you're in the market for a saddle, we reviewed it on the podcast. Uh, You could check out all the details of the giveaway on our website at HeelsDownMag.com. But basically, we want you to share one of your favorite riding exercises with us on social media. Tag us in Arena Saddles and use the hashtag PerfectInAnyArena. All right, it's time for Rose and Thorne. Who wants to go first? I can go. Yeah, whichever. You can go. Okay. So my thorn is that I think I have to quit my job at the animal shelter. (laughs) No, why? (laughs) To save a relationship. (laughs) Yeah, because because 
I love Matthew very much. And he's afraid of cats. Like, it's like, it's, it's not like, oh, I hate cats because I just do. Like, I think he, he's genuinely like, like paranoid that he's going to catch cat stretch fever, you know, and like, but any, <laughs> in any case, I'm, I'm too much of a softie. And I think it's like, I'm realizing it takes like a really special, like strong kind of individual to work with homeless animals all the time and not bring them home because I have acquired three cats and now like, they're like, Oh, you can take this one home too. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really think I can handle four cats, you know? <laughs> and it's just, but like, but I want to so badly cause I feel so sorry for these creatures. So my thorn is that I think I'm going to have to at least cut back on my hours because <laughs> it's really, it's really hard for me to not bring home creatures because Matt will leave and then I'll have to pay the mortgage all by myself and I won't be able to and I'll just become literally an old cat lady living in the woods probably because that's the only place I'll be able to afford. So <laughs> with all your animals. <laughs> yes. And that's Aww. my thorn. <laughs> so <laughs> if you don't hear from me, it's because I'm now off the grid living in the middle of the woods in Jillet, Pennsylvania. But <laughs> But my rose is that I adopted this cat. <laughs> oh no. Oh, okay. But she's she's great. She's okay. So she's an old cat and she was really nasty at the shelter and nobody wanted her because she was fat and a jerk. Um, but it's just like a really stressful environment for cats. Like they're just more likely to get stressed out than the dogs. So I adopted her and her name is Pearl and she's an old lady and she, she does a lot of, she's really talkative, which I really appreciate. Like mostly like just scoffs of, you know, disapproval, uh, which I really, I just think it's really funny. Like she does it to my pit bull and, but she like is in love with Matt. So that's the thorn because he hates cats, terrified of cats. And if he goes to like shave, she'll come and sit in the bathroom with him and she's literally like, you know, almost 18 pounds. And she just sits there and just talks to him like, so it's great. And he gets really freaked out. So that's my rose. Face of the cats. Cats are my thorn and my rose and everything in between. That's perfect. <laughs> what about someone who's not a crazy cat lady? I don't have any cats. I'll go next. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't have any cats. We had one barn cat. I don't know what happened to him. So he's gone. So we don't have any cats. We probably should come take some from Ellie to put at the barn so that she doesn't, you know. Oh, I have Matt. lots of cats. I have oh. lots of cats. I can ship you cats. <laughs> I think that my husband will be like, what happened? You're quitting the podcast. They gave you a cat on a podcast. <laughs> I'll just ship them with no return address in a box. Yeah, and you're right. Just, it'll <laughs> and just show like, up. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> it'll have a collar and everything. Say pain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's hysterical. So my rose is that we are still living on the high that the ninja and Doug, speaking of which, that maybe should be my real thorn. Somebody thought that all the times that we call the ninja or the ninja star witness, Somebody kept thinking Doug was talking to himself in third person, talking about he was <laughs> like, like that's his nickname for himself. Yeah, like 
because we call her the ginger ninja or like, you know, like ninja or whatever. Yeah. And they thought because he has red hair, he was referring to himself as the ginge <laughs> because we call her ginge like for that. And everybody thought like we were talking about Doug this whole time. And I'm like, no, she's redheaded mayor. Like she's the ginger ninja. So everybody, someone finally figured out that the mayor was ginger and they go, Oh, we thought Doug was talking about himself this whole time. Like friends in Jersey. I about peed on myself when they told us that. So that's pretty funny. Oh my yeah. Gosh. Doug's not talking about himself in third person. We're talking about star witness that her and Doug were fourth individually at the Pan Ams and they brought home team gold. So watching Hudson play with the gold medal was hysterical. So it was so much fun. So we're still kind of living on that high and she's still strutting herself around the barn that she's amazing. So that's definitely my rose. And then my thorn is we're trying to get everything organized. Well, we're going to Burley with the Van Diver horse, but we're getting down to the nick of time and like still making sure we can fly out of Huntsville, but there's potential that we have to fly out of JFK. So it's been like a back and forth for like a week, making sure we know what airport this poor horse is flying out of. So it's kind of been, it's been a nightmare. Like I feel like every day I'm like talking to the shippers and something different because I mean, it's logistics and it's, it's horses and everything. So it's not really a problem, but it is becoming a headache that, and I love my shippers. My shippers are great. It's been the other ones that they're kind of getting a headache with. So I'm just thankful for my shippers with horse flight, but it is, making they're they're driving themselves crazy so they're hopefully we're going out of Huntsville and everything will be okay so that's so involved though I can't even imagine like all the details involved I couldn't I mean that's why there are so many different shipping companies but I I can't do with anybody without them because they're so easy and normally it's like nothing but this is just a huge price difference between the two and they keep Huntsville keeps like jerking us around with different prices and they're like we're about to walk. Like we can't afford like all this different numbers. So, I mean, it's not, but it is without a good shipping company and without somebody that's so organized, it's, it is a nightmare. So I'm so blessed. We at least have them, but it is, it can be a nightmare. Wow. And Justine, what do you have? All right. Well, I'll start with my thorn and it's going to make me sound like the most basic person you've ever met. But, um, I really like coffee. I'm, you know, like I mostly drink my own coffee at home or go to the local coffee shops here around town. But I've been to Starbucks three times this week because I'm just waiting for pumpkin pumpkin spice to come out. Oh my and, gosh. <laughs> so, and I know it's soon. I know it's August and I know it's soon. And I'm embarrassed to admit this to the world on this podcast um, that I'm one of those people. But I... The summer's just been awful, and I'm just like, well, uh, an iced pumpkin spice latte will make me feel better about this awful summer. But newsflash, it's not out yet. So I've just given Starbucks money for no reason, and I haven't enjoyed it. But um, probably by the time we tape our next podcast, I'll get to drink pumpkin spice. So so is that your rose or thorn? That is my thorn, because it's not out okay, yet. Okay, I was just making sure. I couldn't <laughs> tell. <laughs> Her rose will be that I'll send her an orange cat named Pumpkin Spice. <laughs> <laughs> no, my greyhound will eat a cat. That's the, I can't have a cat. Even if I wanted one, I can't. But um, <laughs> so 
Ellie, you're our like designated cat lady yeah. of the podcast. <laughs> you're getting all the cats, Ellie. You get all of them. But then I guess my rose is probably that I just moved Mikey to a new barn and it was super stressful for me. It was a something I thought about for a long time before I finally, you know, made the decision to do it. But I'm really happy so far with the move and he's settling in nicely at this new farm and it's a much more structured program than what we're used to. You know, like we're at a trainer's barn, we're there to to ride with the trainer and it's, it's just like a whole different, different environment. Cause the other boarding barn I was at, I loved dearly and I loved my family there, but it was most, I was on my own mostly, you know what I mean? Like I did everything by myself and now I'm stepped up into a program and looking forward to fingers crossed horse showing as long as everything goes well this year. So I'm excited. I'm excited for the fall to get going. It'll be fun. Yeah, I hope so. That's cool. So. So if you guys haven't checked out Alation Breaches, we reviewed several of their riding tights and then also their Chelsea Breaches on the show. Alation has quickly become one of my favorite brands of breeches ever. They just fit really great. They're beautiful. It's high quality product. They last in the wash. They last in the summer and the heat and sweat. And they're just, they come in beautiful different colors. I always feel like the most stylish person at my barn when I wear my Alation Breaches. So if you want to check them out, you can go to elationbreaches.com. All right. So we have a mailbag from Blair who emailed us. And I'm going to read this question to you guys because I feel like you both of you will have great articulate answers for her. And Blair wants to know, why would someone want to audit rather than attend a clinic? And why would people allow auditing when you're watching and learning just for just like those who paid full price to participate in the clinic? And I know, Jess, you've probably taught in clinics. Ellie, I know you've attended some pretty high-end clinics. Uh, Do you guys want to tackle this question? Yeah, so I can go first. I think it's actually important to have both. So, yes, it's ideal that you can go ride in the clinic and you can get everything out of it and you bring your own horse and it's structured just to you and what you're wanting to work on and everything. And so that is obviously why everybody would want to go to a clinic to be the rider. But as an auditor, maybe you don't have the horse at the time, or maybe you just like to learn. It's still a learning tool. Like I always encourage my kids and everybody that rides with me, like, go watch, just go watch lessons, go watch clinics, go watch this. Because even though you can't go and actually ride in it and it, it's not, yes, it's not as ideal as riding in it because you don't get everything out of it, but you get little bits of pieces that then would apply So I know that like some people are like, well, you know, why would you audit when you could just ride? Some people don't have that ability to ride or something's happened or, you know, life happens. There's X, Y's and Z's that, you know, maybe you did ride and then you wanted to audit. So there's a thousand different reasons, but I always encourage people to watch because you can learn, you know, while people are even having my lessons, it's very helpful them to watch Doug ride, myself ride, even one of their peers ride and go, look, this is what's happening. This is what you can then see. And then a lot of people are visual learners and they can then put it to that. So I think it's huge and it's important for people to always watch, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's a really good point. I mean, my biggest thing, right, is somebody can say something a million times in a million different ways. But if I see someone else doing what I do wrong at home, I'm like, oh, that's why, that's you know, what they ke- that's what they keep telling me that to is, do. That makes sense. Or, 
oh, I do that too. Yeah, that, that, that didn't look good. You know, like I'm like, you know, it helps me as a writer, but also I think it helps me to see how other people, like now that I, you know, have this coat breaking business, it helps me to see how other trainers handle different situations with horses. Like, for example, like introducing um, like a Liverpool or something like every trainer kind of has their own way of going about that. And I think it's really interesting just to watch and see the different perspectives because what works for one horse, you know, isn't always going to work for the next 30. So I really like clinics and auditing just for that because I can see the training aspect of it, you know, and it's, and it's a whole lot cheaper, you know, usually you can audit for free or for like a really low cost, you know, and it's, you're learning a lot, you know, and it's, you don't have a horse to take care of. You don't have to travel, you know, with a horse. So I highly recommend auditing. I think auditing is great. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree with both of you guys. I, like exactly what you just said, Ellie. I mean, if you take away the stress of having to bring your horse to an event, you can just be there to soak up all the knowledge and not have to worry about your horse tied up at the trailer or you getting ready or you know what I mean? Anything that comes with being at an event with your horse, you're just there to soak up everything that the clinician is explaining to other riders. And some of my biggest Eureka moments I've ever had with riding have been not on my horse, right? It's just like listening to a trainer talk and going and watching somebody else deal with a similar problem or the same problem I'm having and going, Oh my gosh, I, it clicks. I just had to watch somebody else do it to realize I, you know, what I was doing wrong. So I think there's totally a lot of value. And, and like you said, it's cheaper, you know, I could go audit all day, right. Instead of having to pay to have my horse there and pay the fee for the clinic. It's just a a great learning opportunity. And I think it's always nice too, because you get to feel that you're not the only one that does something wrong. Like, oh, that person rides with their hands in their crotch too. I don't feel so bad anymore. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Totally. So if you have a question for us and you want us to answer it on the show, you can always send us an email at hello at heelsdownmedia.com or you should join our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. And if you want to hear more from us at Heels Down Mag, subscribe to the Heels Down Brief by going to bit.ly slash hdbrief. And many thanks to our partners this week, which are Flare Strips, EIS, Arena Saddles, and Elation Breaches. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Off to go feed the cats. Well, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.